Between the World and Me was a letter written by author Ta-Nehisi Coates to his then 15-year-old son. This epistle was Coates' account of what autonomy means in the body of a black man navigating the streets of West Baltimore as a young boy, Howard University as a blossoming young man well into fatherhood. In this episode of Vulgar Geniuses, we review the star-studded HBO adaptation based on the 2018 staging of the book at the Apollo Theater, directed by Kamala Forbes. I'm Denny. And I'm Veronica. And today we're talking about Tanahisi Coates' film adaptation of Between the World and Me on Vulgar Geniuses podcast. So don't go away. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzy'sbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. You didn't go away. Welcome back. Hey, welcome home. This is home. <laughs> yes, because this is Tiny Bites. <laughs> we back for Tiny Bites for yes. the new year for season two. So Tiny Bites, again, is um, our reaction to movies, TV shows, written or starring people of color. Yes. And what, what's, on, uh, what's on our agenda today? We have watched HBO's um, adaptation of Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And this is a book. Um, a very, very famous book. Yes, it was adapted by um, uh, HBO. Um, that was an adaptation of a staging at the Apollo Theater. So, if you're still following... <laughs> <laughs> it has transformed different ways. But all under the hands of Camilla Forbes... Um, who is an award-winning director. And um, she, along with uh, Susan um, Kelechi Watson and Ta-Nehisi Coates, all went to Howard University together. So it says something when, like, your friends are all doing well and yes. you're doing well together because you're bringing them up. So shout-out to Friendship. <laughs> shout-out to Howard. Can we get a sponsorship with Friendship? <laughs> What are we inside out? <laughs> friendship. <laughs> Anybody got a hook up with friendship? Let us let us know. But anyway, you need friends. So this episode, um, this this documentary, not really a documentary. It's kind of like a play, but but not but not because it's it's based in. In truth, this mm-hmm. is based in Ta-Nehisi Coates' actual uh, letter that was turned into a book for his for his son, um, and it starts off with him talking about the verdict coming in for Eric Gardner, yeah, um, or like, the lack thereof, because they they you know they stayed up late. His son was like watching the TV and waiting for it, and when there was no verdict given um, or an, an indictment. Yes, the indictment was not done. His son was very upset yeah. and was just walked out of the room. Um, I guess the living room and went to his to his bedroom and was just crying. Mm-hmm. So this was him, you know, 
basically telling him like look you will have these moments throughout your life simply because you are black and this is the whole book because i read the book you you haven't read had a chance to read the book yet um the entire book is based on what it is to exist in a body that has dark skin Mm-hmm. Right to be a black person in America, what it is to, you know, live in the neighborhoods that you live in, go into school, just just being walking in America, down the street, walking down the street, but just all the everyday things of the heaviness that comes with it, and in terms of also the survival mode that you're constantly having to be in, mm-hmm. you know, because <clears throat> when you're talking about people who are constantly being stopped by the police, having to deal with police brutality, having to go to schools where, um, there's a good quote where he's like, you know, the students weren't seen as, you know, them wanting to, them to be curious. They're seeing them as people they want to conform, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, this really speaks to what it means to say and do what you want what you know in your mind that you want to do as a just a person in general and then knowing that there are uh, consequences and repercussions if you do the thing that you want to do when there's a white body telling you you're not allowed to do those things yes um unfortunately this narrative is being played multiple times every year it has not changed and I am sick and tired of it. Yeah. It is upsetting. It is disappointing. I think I have just reached of a point of I'm just mad. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm just mad. And if you can't understand why I'm, I'm mad, then you, to me, you are just a lower level of human being. I don't know about that because like I don't know if it is them not understanding or not wanting to understand or not wanting to understand. And like to me that's all one and the same now. And you know a lot, uh, one of the parts of the documentary is when he's talking to his son of him under wanting him to understand that you do not get to exist in a state of ignorance yes. about what it is to be black in this country like oh, it, yeah. you have to know. You have to know because it is a matter of safety in order for you to live a life. Period. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so you we can't be ignorant, you know. No, he talks about how Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. And he, he talks about how easy it is for most white people to live in this state of understanding what the American dream is. Oh, and them being Bassett. able to, like, go for it. Mm-hmm. And having an entire world that is just totally different than the one that most... Uh, brown and black people exist in yes and that is very true because like i didn't grow up here mm-hmm. so every like movie every like sitcom every show like drama whatever is being played or popular in the united states 
that's it that that's what gets picked up mm-hmm. in a third world country mm-hmm. so everybody thought i or still thinks sometimes that living the american dream is white picket fence in this quiet neighborhood in a cul-de-sac with like a perfect life you know and you open the refrigerator everything is there and you have your brothers and sisters you all have your own bedroom and like you know all the stuff that you want and need mm-hmm. I, it's funny that you said that about the opening the refrigerator i have a friend of mine um i don't know it's just it's always it's always in embedded in that story yeah i i have a friend of mine who um we kind of like have this like ongoing thread about how there's no dream deferred we want to get to a place where if you have a friend over and you ask them like what do you want to drink and they can name anything (laughs) and you actually have those things in your refrigerator like because that's the stuff we saw on television that you know jan would go over and visit chad and chad would be like hey you want some you want some oj Mm-hmm. You know, you want some Sprite, whatever it is, they pull it out, it's right there. It's right there. And to me, that was always a sign of, like, you made it, and this is what we should be achieving. Like, this is this is what the dream was all about. Yeah, it gives... The abundance. It gives people a false sense of security, assurance, that, oh, yeah, everybody can be this way. Mm-hmm. Like, Hell no. There's a lot of things that this country is not allowing people to achieve that dream mm-hmm. simple as it may seem but when you have those things it solidifies that you have quote unquote made it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know years have passed and nothing nothing really has changed we always go back to square one where oh you know somebody somebody somebody's life has has to be spared in order for people to be like oh yeah Racism still exists. Mm-hmm. And we have to do all the steps back and forth, going in and out. Nobody is still charged for murders. Nobody is accounted for it. There's still police brutality. I am just mad. I am mad. I stay in that permanent madness when when things are talked about. About stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I I can't even speak. I'm like, I just I just live there. What a wonderful thing it is. I just live there. Of what, and I say this with a bit of sarcasm when I say what a wonderful thing it is to be able to go through life and not, you know, have revolts and start killing white people all over the country Mm -hmm. because of the injustices that are, that are coming upon um, people of color. Yeah. Of like, we endure so much in the world in the world not not only just in this country but we endure so much in the world um and the the control that we have and just being like you know we just gotta push through this Mm -hmm. because it could for any i mean obviously what we just saw not too long ago a few weeks ago of when when a group of Trump supporters don't get the result that they want, they yeah. try to stage a coup. Yep. On the very country that they say that they are in love with. Yeah. Like, so, you know, it's like, 
they have the opportunity to react in such a way and even though some some people are quote unquote getting arrested or whatever we all understand like at the end of the day it's no different than them getting arrested versus you know anyone else that's getting arrested and getting a chance to go to burger king before they go to jail and all this kind of bullshit Mm -hmm. it's not the same for people of color oh hell no we We don't we don't get that we won't even get past like i don't know a hundred yards before like the capital or whatever like we won't be able to go in Mm -hmm. like during the black lives matter protest we we were not doing anything we're just standing there peacefully tear gas like fake like fake bullet like with the other the rubber bullets or Mm -hmm. whatever whatever they were doing to people that are harming us Mm -hmm. yeah it doesn't compare like try breaking a window in the capital and if you don't see yourself i don't know hanged somewhere (laughs) girl it's it's unreal yeah yeah for sure and what this documentary i want to call it a documentary i'm gonna call it a documentary yes or masterpiece this what this masterpiece (laughs) has done um is helped us see how how ta coates life was for him growing up going through baltimore going going to howard and dc and then going and living in new york city um or or brooklyn rather and um how his life was met with you know this could be the moment you know he talks about how a young man when he was what like 11 years old and a young boy young probably younger than him pulls out a gun mm-hmm. and brandishes the gun and he, he learned in that moment like my life is always up mm-hmm. you know for consideration <laughs> at anybody's hands yeah and for any cost and how easily he could have died at that moment how dispensable right we like people of color are mm-hmm the beginning was rough and then we get catapulted into the life of what it was for him to go to Howard University and I thought that was done in such a beautiful light especially having um Susan Kelechi Watson tell the story because Mm -hmm. that's where she went Mm -hmm. and you could tell the pride of oh yeah the pride that she had oozing out of every single pore with every single word she spoke walking walking down you know the middle like the grass yes just pointing and yes it It, was wonderful it was wonderful and it even though I did not go to Howard I went to Florida A&M University um I understood what she was talking about of what it is to be in that space and see people who look like you but have all different kinds of experiences that they're coming from all different countries that they're speaking all different kind of languages and in that moment realizing like the black narrative is not monolithic yes you know like it it has so many different parts to it that are vibrant and beautiful and him being able to go to Howard that is considered, you know, they call it the Mecca there, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's one of the oldest institutions in the United States. And having that experience was a teaching moment for him, be it the relationships that he established with his friends or the women that he <laughs> that he um, was in relationships oh, with. Oh, the women. Um, I, what I also loved about this film was them using, like, uh, 
the the star-studded actors <laughs> to act out these stories Oof. that reflected not only Tanahisi's story in which they're they are telling his story but they're addressing um not only his son but they're addressing you know dear daughter dear nephew mm-hmm. they're breaking it all down in different um familial ties to show that this experience is one that most people are having yeah right? it's universal yeah it's universal for for black people that it's not just for just a son mm-hmm. it could be you me her she mm-hmm. they them yeah. Everybody. And that was also the other part I liked about it was the fact that they made, um, like, the LGBTQ, um, mm-hmm. the that, that group of people known throughout the story. You had trans women like Janet Mock doing, you know, reading a part of his story and it showed the inclusion of like everybody is going through this experience. It's not singular. Right. And to me, like I, I felt because yeah, the, the first and the last part of it was really heavy. But when, when we were at Howard university, it's kind of like, this was an experience when I brought my husband back to where I was born in the Philippines. Mm Mm-hmm. And along, and also when we went to Japan for our honeymoon, when we went to Japan, he was like, oh, this is how it feels when all the people around you look exactly like you Mm. and nobody gives a shit what you're doing. And I'm like, yeah, this is how it feels. Because I grew up in the Philippines, everybody looks exactly like me. So I never, you know, there's some, there's always... The colorism part of it. Yes, always. That's part of colonialism. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, hearing the same language, being part of a bigger community, um, I never really felt the divide in in purpose. Mm -hmm. But color is always different. But in purpose, we're always doing one goal. For the most part. Mm -hmm. But, you know, growing up here, probably he he felt very different. We're Asians, you know. We're not seen as, as Americans, according to Charles Yu and Kathy Park Hong. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm always mad. <laughs> but I digress anyway. So, yeah, so when he came to Japan or when he visited the Philippines, there's a sense of like, oh, everybody looks exactly like me. Mm-hmm. And I can just explore freely and do whatever I want. And, you know, to be in college and to be like that, I bet that was a wonderful feeling. It is a very good feeling, too. Because for me, you know, I I was never in a predominantly black space until I got to high school. and Or no, actually my eighth grade year of middle school. That ended up catapulting me into in a space where... I couldn't imagine that we existed and it would be so beautiful to go into, you know, outside of church. Cause I went to a predominantly black church throughout my entire life. So this was the first experience where like I was in a place where I was learning and the people who are teaching me look like me and the people who are sitting next to me look like mm-hmm. me. Um, 
it spoke volumes of like, look, you know, we are out here learning. We're out here becoming doctors and teachers and lawyers and whatever, whatever the fuck whatever. we want to be. And it is a beautiful thing. Inclusion, man. Inclusion is something else. <laughs> <laughs> Inclusion is, is where it's at. People need to get on the program with that. It's yeah. it's necessary. We see him uh, talk about how, you know, he he has fallen in love with different women and then mm-hmm. he eventually meets his son's mom. Yes. And um, he talks about how there was a time before him and then there was a time after he was he was born. Yeah, that was that was something because I have a child. So I I felt I felt it when like I'm. You know, when he said something about, like, I was, I was basically worship, you know, I was, I was not religious or some sort of something like that, Mm -hmm. but then I was worshiping you. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know what? I've kind of understood what it meant. Because it's kind of like you're at the mercy of this, like, small, tiny human being. Yeah. And that's when you would realize that, you know, now it's not just about him anymore. It's another human being that looks exactly like him so he does everything in, in order to power. protect him yes yeah but it's very hard it is hard especially when you have people who are telling you that you aren't allowed to exist yes in either subtle or non-subtle ways right yeah, so or just disregard you as a human being he talks about how he was out with his son who was only four at the time mm-hmm. and is shoved by a white lady and it becomes this huge thing and he goes in on this white lady. Yep. And then he has to realize, like, hold up. You know, there there's are consequences that could happen mm-hmm. even though I am not in the wrong. Yeah. There are other things that can take place. I could lose my life and... And there will be no more me for me to look after this child, right? Mm-hmm. So <sighs> that is sad. That that really was kind of like, I think that's that's what I think that moment is what made me perpetually like upset and mad because mm-hmm. I know what it is to have a child and to know that nobody would be looking after my child because of something that I tried to do to protect that child mm-hmm. and and still was kind of like be in the wrong for it that really is very upsetting because mm-hmm. like nobody has the right to touch anybody's child mm-hmm. but you know the fact that you have to think how how you would act or like even look or even just like what do you have to say mm-hmm. and because of that you it could be like reversed on you immediately it's kind of like that um that um famous like award-winning grammy nominee um jazz musician that does was with his son and they were in a hotel and some white lady mm. was like oh he stole my phone yeah and of course he was like no ma'am it's exactly the same thing. And her attacking, like physically yeah, attacking, and like wanting this to child. wanting to search. Like, can I see your phone? I bet that's why. And and of course, like the the boy was like, "No, ma'am, this is mine. Mm-hmm. I didn't steal your phone." And you know, as a father or as an, another adult, there you're kind of like, "Wait, hold up. I have to not like you know just to think like 
as instincts as a as a parent your instinct would be like to protect your child immediately mm-hmm. but then as a person of color to protect your child immediately means staying calm and not doing anything yet because they can turn it this against you mm-hmm. you're being aggressive you're being defensive but if the roles were reversed, they can lash out on you, they can hit, they can they can do whatever. And they still did those things mm-hmm. in regard to, to that young man. They still did those things. The hotel came in and they were pressing the child and asking him about his about the phone situation. So, you know, everybody was out of line mm-hmm. in regards to what they were doing to this family. And then you have this, this white girl get on TV. I think her name is like Maya Pastoni or something like that. (laughs) But she gets on, she gets on TV in her interview with Gail King. And you can tell like, this is a woman who chooses, who refuses to take responsibility for her actions. And there's a video. Like I didn't even see the video until I seen that interview with Gail King. And you see her attacking this child. And I'm like, hold up, ma'am. Like, do you see what I'm seeing? How do you not see that? That's yep. what are you what it is that you're doing to this child and then you're outright denying that that you did anything or you're refusing to take responsibility. It is it is kind of it's one of those moments where she was like saying basically and uh saying that she wasn't a racist person. You know, and it's like you not only are you racist but you did a very racist thing. Mm-hmm. Call it what it is, you yeah, know? Exactly. And, and and there's a million of them in this country, just like that, when where they think that they are not racist, but they truly are. Because mm-hmm. I think that is the worst. That is worst. That is the worst. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. If, you, if you deny the denial is what hurts this country throughout centuries. Oh, yeah. Because because of that denial, nothing has changed. We see nothing. him. We see them layering the story about his his altercation with his son um, after they laid the foundation about um, the young man Prince Jones that he went to college with, mm-hmm. who was killed by a police officer. Uh, the police officer was a PG, a, a PG is Prince George, um, Prince George County police officer who followed him out of the county to South Carolina, followed him all the way to this man's, uh, fiance's home in and South murders, Carolina. murdered him in front of the house. He was only a few steps away from getting inside, and this man thought that he was following this uh, drug dealer mm-hmm. who was who did not match the description at all. Yep, they said the drug dealer was five four and a hundred something pounds. And this police officer went. Not only did he go free, they didn't arrest him. <laughs> he, you know, nope. and I think they ended up promoting him or something like that. But he kept his job. At the end of the day, he kept his job. No harm and then was done to this him. This young man is dead, and it just goes to show you, like you, we cannot do anything in this country. And so he goes and he talks about how, you know, the police officer that was involved was black, and the the people who were over it was black, and mm-hmm. the governmental leaders, and how 
they tried to spin this narrative about how black people just want the police in their community to help protect it and and if this is something that happens it's just something that happens in order to keep things in order mm-hmm. and this is a this is a truly a false narrative no one says oh i want the police to come in and have control of my community because i want to be safe that's not the case so um the way that they paired the those stories up about and then later on coming and him having the conversation with prince's mother uh and her basically saying you know i just want my son to be here mm-hmm. you know she, of course she had an I- idea of where she wanted him to go for college and who she wanted her son to be when he grew up every parent has that and for her her she said that her biggest regret was the fact that he was no longer there yeah that he was dead and so after hearing that story then we're met with brianna taylor's yeah, mother's they're like 20 years after mm-hmm. after that happened, it's still happening. It's still happening. And it's the same narrative. She did nothing. She's an EMT paramedic. She is one of us. I'm from the medical professional people. And hearing that somebody died that's just trying to serve your community mm-hmm. is like that girl has a lot of stuff that could have happened to her life. She was smart. She, she was, was trying dedicated. to have a baby in the future. Like, yeah, like she, she, like she had everything that she did everything that she needed to do in order to succeed. Mm-hmm. And yet, still, it happened to her. Like, what are what else are we gonna do? What else? You tell me. What else are we gonna do? I wonder what it is to be able to go through life. And the only worry of your life being taken away is, like, you know, if you get hit by a car or lightning, you get diabetes or, you know, so, or you get cancer. Like, you know, physical things that can happen to you that happen to everybody, but mm-hmm. not those things that only happen to you because you are a person of color and not to everybody else who is white. Yeah. It, it's, it's very different. It's very different. That's why, um, you know, documentaries or pieces like this um, have to be seen more. It brings me back to um, when we did Lovecraft Country, mm-hmm. when Ruby was, you know, was given the opportunity to be a white lady. You can really feel the difference in in the way that she walked, she talked, everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, like what Malcolm X was saying in this, you know, in this documentary, if you can't do what a white man is doing, then that's not equality. Hmm. So until we, until we are in that bubble position and until we are in that space, we, we are, we'll be forever struggling. Hmm. It's not going to be, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same. Yeah. Um, this year, or I, I guess I, we're not in 2020 anymore. It's I have, 21 we're now. in 2021. So last year was definitely a year full of um, 
revolution. Yeah. Move re- revolution. It's movements that were happening in order for people to understand that what was happening has got to stop, right? And um when you think about the past four years of having uh, Trump in office and what he has done during those those four years has it's like if someone broke a base but only like you know half of it broke off mm. and it's like you can fix it but it's gonna take some time because the half that broke off is in many different pieces oh yeah right and that's where we are right now because the the damage has been done and it's going to take a while for us to be able to, to begin to piece ourselves back up in a way where it's one of those things where it's like, do you want to piece it up or yeah. do you want to throw it away and start all over and make a new pot? It's, it's hard. It's hard doing both. Because it's like, there's always going to be people that would not be accepting of what is really right and true Mm -hmm. and just. Mm -hmm. They're going to think that, oh yeah, whatever I believe in is the correct way of living. And and you can't change those people. Remember that? I've met those people. (laughs) Remember that part (laughs) when he was talking, it was Oprah, and she was... uh, reading his part where if things were truly equal, white people would have to like basically fall from the pedestal that they've put themselves at, Mm -hmm. right? And really um, get an understanding of like we can no longer build our communities, our community and our generational wealth on the, on the literal bodies of black people, black Mm. and brown people in this Mm. country that we will have to figure out a way, um, to go through life without that, the privilege, um, that they have been granted or that they have granted themselves. They granted themselves. And you saw not too long ago, groups, masses of people running up the the steps of the Capitol because this is them being afraid of their privilege being taken away. Yep. That that's that's all why they did it. Because no they understand where we are. Mm-hmm. And for them to be where we are with, with us they can't accept it. They don't want to accept it. Mm-mm. Because then that would mean that, you know, oh, I have to really truly see you as someone who is who is um allowed to have the same rights. I know we wrote it down. Mm-hmm. But now we got to actually do it. Yep. And the the people who are coming in are going to try to enforce what what these forefathers that we say that we love so much and so dearly have written out for us. Oh, we gotta actually do those things. I thought it was just for us, mm-hmm. and you know, having to deal with that mentality for so long, uh, especially within these last four years, and then I I don't know where we're gonna be. Guess the thing is, they got in the way with it for so long. Nobody was really like, there was no like check and balances because mm-hmm. they were doing it. They were doing the checks and balances. So of course, it's gonna be like partially towards them. 
it is fucked up. The system is fucked up. From where I was from, the system is still fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we gotta speak up and do do things to change things. Yeah. Educate educate the children, because that is the most empowering thing. We gotta educate the children, and then we also have to allow the children to educate us. Yes, because you know this is a this is a new generation that is coming into the world now where they're going to have hopefully a better understanding of how things work how equality really works right and yeah. I, I i know that we are we are seeing that happen with the generation that is like my my niece's age who are mm-hmm. in their 20s and um 19 uh i see that there is something totally different and I see that the people who are my age are complaining about those children, mm-hmm. you know, as far as, like, work ethic and all that bullshit goes. But mm-hmm. they don't understand, like, you know, these children are having to figure out a world that, you know, our parents and our, our grandparents and all of those kind of help fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a sense of, like, them having to come in and just be like, all right. What, now, what what do we got here? What do we have left <laughs> for us to be able to work with? And what is it that we have to create? Yeah, because, um, you know, children, children are very driven to change. Mm-hmm. And they're driven to, like, you know, in their hope, hopeful minds and their open hearts. They're very open to be, to be the catalyst for change and to do that change. So even though there are there are some differences between generations, um, I think we should remain hopeful that there would be change. Because mm-hmm. if not, then what are we here for? Right. And I would just be staying. <laughs> I'll be staying mad forever. <laughs> but because, you know, you don't want to be mad forever. Right. But there's this, like, door in my head that I try to keep calm, especially when I navigate spaces um, that I know that I can't be really entirely myself. Mm-hmm. And whether it be going to a supermarket, going to, I don't know, church, wherever, work, whatever. Um, but, you know, hopefully, as all of us would pass away, these youngins will be there to change what we call America and you know we gotta we gotta remain hopeful and positive I think I guess cause that's all we got that's all we got that's all we got <laughs> that's all we got so um yeah so this this adaptation is definitely one I would want to read this book again um because just like uh, James Baldwin, I feel like Ta-Nehisi Coates' work is one that will resonate for years and years and years to come. Um, hopefully one that will help navigate those young people that we talked about into a world of change. Yes, because, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of like being locked up in, like, you know, some sort of cult. Mm-hmm. You know, those those children that have been raised by, you know, parents that are that are just different in thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be really nice here. Oh, you mean the racist ones. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but 
but maybe through through education, through books, through peers, when they would see this, what is this about? And you know, it would open their minds and it would change change their heart. Because, you know, you can change your mind, but if your heart is changed on what it is that is right, then I think that's where real, real change happens. For sure. Because you can think it, but if you actually would do it, that's two different things. Mm-hmm. So, on that note, we're going to wrap up this Tiny Bites. Yeah. Um, if you are listening to this and it is after um, Martin Luther King holiday, we hope you had a good holiday and mm-hmm. that you were able to go out and do some good uh, in the middle of the pandemic. Make sure you all stay safe. Stay home, y'all. We're suffering. The hospitals are full. I beg of you, in behalf of all the people that are in the hospital, just stay home. Stay home. Like, if you if you want a friend, just hit us up on uh, Instagram. At Vulgar Jesus Book Club. We'll talk to you. Yeah. Veronica will talk to you. Diddy will talk to you too. <laughs> no, I'm playing. I'm gonna be like, I'm busy saving lives. She talks the most. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm the shy one, as you can see. No, here, see. Not on the gram, though. Uh, I don't know Not about on the that. gram. <laughs> All right, y'all. Y'all be safe. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Okay, until this pandemic is done. You'll be sick and tired of me here saying that. Bye. Bye. Good night. Good morning. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.